you tell us a little bit about what Tower Technologies does and then what you do at your current role? So Tower Technologies as a whole, the overarching company that is basically the largest purveyor of software to the public sector, so state and local government. And our little kingdom, our little division in Tyler is focused solely on school bus routing. So we have products that allow school districts and school bus contractors to manage their school bus fleet and route their buses to pick up the students. I solve problems for other divisions and I solve problems for my group of people, you know, whether it's making sure that their map that their software uses is complete and has what they need or making the work of my group easier for them. And, you know, a lot of that involves coding, scripting stuff. I learned, mm -hmm. learned Python some years ago and just really enjoy using it because I'm lazy. And anything that you need to do more than once, you can script. It's like, oh, okay, I don't want to do this 17 times. I'm going to have this script do it for me 17 times. And then next week when I have to do it 23 times, I can have it do it again. And it's just, you know, a lot of times it's just creating a more consistent product for the client as well. If we have stuff that is consistently done the same way, we take a lot, some of that human error out of it and we have that base to work with then. Because you can't script everything. There's still places where people have to actually look at the data and make, and make judgment calls. But we should, we take out the mind numbing, boring stuff. We can make the job more enjoyable to do and give the people more bandwidth to make those judgment calls. Like we have clients all across the United States and Canada. So the, the county data that we get, we use is a wide variety of from good to just terrible. And there's problem solving with that. Like, how do we fix this data? Do we need to fix it? Can we use another source? Where do we find another source? What can we do? How can we combine these things together to make something that is going to work for the client? Because basically what we're doing is we're making models. We're doing our best to model the real world environment in this routing network. Because we're, we're trying to model, trying to predict how long it's going to take a bus to go from point A to point B and pick up all the kids along the way. So like the kids need to know what time their bus is going to be at their stop. And they didn't need to know what time they were going to get to school. And the better we do our jobs, the closer that's going to be in actuality for the client. The client has the ability to do some, some changes to their map, but we want to get it there as much as we can without having detailed local knowledge because we don't we never really have that unless it's like where we live but since we have clients that are so disparate across the country it's hard to to have that knowledge in, in any case so we do our best with what we have and i feel like we do a really good job how does your mind work you see a problem what are your steps to solve it um well the, i think the first step i try to find out where the problem comes from like, so is it something inherent to the data or is it something that was done in the software? Is it something that somebody did? If it's a human error kind of thing, where did this problem occur? If we know where the problem occurs, we can keep it from happening again to, mm -hmm. to solve all future problems. And then from there, it's like, well, how do we fix it to, to go forward? Cause we know what we need. We, 
like we we know we have standards for the data on the end where we deliver it. So how do we get from there to, to here? Do we have to source new data? Do we have to manually work on the data? Or like the problem could be, hey, this is taking forever. I'm going through all this data manually to try to fix it because there's no other way right now. Like, okay, what are you doing? Show me step-by-step what you're doing to fix this data. And we can then take those steps and condense them into a script to to do it for you. We need to get it from where it is to where, where, what we need it to be, which I feel like is a pretty good definition for data engineering, which is kind of, which is what we do. We, we, we take data that's not made for, for the most part, not made for routing and turn it into something that's used in a routing network. Um, So there's things that we have to make sure that's included in the data. We have to make sure the data is connected properly where it should be. So like a four-way intersection, those roads need to be connected so that the bus could go at any one of those four roads. If it's an overpass, we have a road going over the other one. They need to be disconnected, as we like to call it, in a way that won't allow the bus to take a right turn off an overpass because school districts frown on that. Those, those are the, the kinds of decisions that need to be made by a human about whether or not things are, are need to be disconnected or connected but in that way. And some of the tools that I've made help that process to kind of give visual aids about like what is connected. But the final say still has to come from the person that's actually working the data. But a lot of times the problem solving is just a matter of trying to make uh, things fit the process, basically. Because we have an origin point with either the data the quality of the data and the amount of time we we're, need to spend working on the project. And then the endpoint where we deliver that project and the data to the client. And if one of those is off the track, we have to get it back on. And that's where that problem solving comes from. Making that, making that work. I'm, I, I mentor students from my alma mater in the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And if any, Anybody that's doing a GIS degree, I, if they ask me for help, I will help them basically. And when, and a lot of times what they're doing, the Python stuff, it's just like, it's all about just going through and making sure everything is written correctly. That's 90% of the, the issues. And you shouldn't feel dumb if that's the case because it happens to absolutely everyone. So it's just a part of it. And the more you get used to scripting, the more you know that is part of everything. And if something is not working, that's the first thing you look at. It's not, oh, I wrote this wrong. It's like I screwed up and put in a, a space or my tabs aren't being registered as four spaces as being registered as a tab and that's messing things up. It's stupid stuff like that that really, that do, it's just learning how to, to troubleshoot for that. Troubleshooting is a, is a skill that I don't know if a lot of people have. And, I feel like it's, it's not being practiced because now with the AI, you can yeah. just dump that into AI and have it troubleshoot for you. But it's like, that doesn't always help you. It doesn't help you understand why it doesn't work. It just fixes your problem. It's Coding and scripting is truly a different language. I almost wanted to put it as, you know, when they say, like, do, you do, do you know another language? I'm like, yeah, Python. That is a language. <laughs> That is a language on its own because it's all just binary. It's all, it's not, it's, it's just, it's very logical. Um, 
and you have to kind of step into I don't know how this is going to sound, but it almost sounds like it's, you have to step into the world of the computer and try to so, get the computer to understand what you want to say and have it regurgitate it back to you. Yeah. Yeah, because they're it's like trying to talk with somebody who has no imagination. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very specific about what you want. Yeah. And, and there's no room for any kind of interpretation. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, but scripting can be very fun, especially if you, if you do enjoy your project. So, and, so, and go, okay, go. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just, I was just going to say like, you know, and then with, when I do uh, making tools for other people to use, that's, you know, I think someone today said like, I really like using this tool. It like makes things a lot easier. I'm like, that's great. That's great to hear. Like if it doesn't work the way really well, also tell me because then I can make it better, which is also fun. It's nice to hear like someone else using it and, and it benefiting their life. Any challenges that you've seen in the industry? I mean, personally, I had a challenge in I is for a lot of the years, I didn't really, I didn't have a degree in GIS. I started, I did, I started working at my local county government when I was doing my associate's degree. And I had a buddy who was elected auditor. He gave me a summer job. That's how it started. And I was filing deeds. And then after a week, he was like, Hey, do you want a permanent job? We have an opening. Like, sure. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I'll do this for a while. And then after about a month there, it's like, Hey, you're not, you're 80 years old looking to retire. Do you want to learn GIS? Sure. So like they sent me to a training and it was just like a weekend training. And then I, I worked there for a year and then I, went on vacation and went out west and then started but like for the first 10 years of doing gis i didn't have any degree in gis and just like that weekend training under my belt and i was able to learn a lot of stuff on my own but experience this doesn't necessarily transfer well on a resume so have not having a degree kind of held me back and then there's you know there's also some Cases where not having a degree meant I couldn't work on certain projects because the government entity that was funding that project required a person with that degree. I'm working doing the archaeology stuff, and I'm the only one that did not have a bachelor's degree, but I had the most experience in GIS and I couldn't work on these projects because I didn't have that bachelor's degree. That kind of held, held me back. Um, but now with there's so many programs now to get like a GIS certificate. Mm-hmm. They're teaching GIS. It's getting into like high school stuff, which is great. So there's a certain level that experience will get you. But after that, education is important. And, um, the, I, I have a, the GISP certification, the GIS professional. And I, I feel that that has a lot of weight to it in that there is, in addition to a portfolio review that they do, there's also a test that's involved now that they did that in the last few years. And the test is hard. It is not easy and it covers a wide breadth of, of knowledge, but that adds legit, legitimacy to that title of GISP. Being taken 
seriously seem to be for like my talents or whatever, not talent, but like my experience and my knowledge in GIS without having a, a degree, it, it was harder to find a job, basically. And that kind of, that was kind of uh, a hold back, but GIS in the past, you know, the pandemic did so much for GIS really, uh, sadly, sad as it is with the amount of tracking that was being done of cases across the country. Uh, I know indoor GIS kind of really took off during the, the pandemic to make sure social distancing was being maintained. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that's coming out now, but challenging challenges that are happening now. I think if I feel like it's opening up more, we need more people that more people that are looking at GIS to do different things. Though going back where I was talking about with different viewpoints, different perspectives, different cultures, more of that. Use GIS for mapping your cultural history mm-hmm. or use it, use it for things that it wasn't meant to be used for. That's the only way that we're going to grow as an industry or as a collective is push those boundaries. So since you came in from a unconventional route, which is how I feel like most people who are getting into GIS is how they pretty much got in. It's not conventional at all. It seems like the skill that's helped you, correct me if I'm wrong, is that human to human connection. That's what the basis of it is, making a map. You're showing Mm -hmm. where you're at one way or another, either physically or emotionally or metaphorically, and you're trying to communicate that to somebody else. Making maps is a way of sharing information. And showing people places that are important to you or important to somebody. But what we do now at at tie with the school bus routing and it's, you're getting kids to school and there's really not a lot that's controversial about that. You want to get them to school and to home safely and you want to be done in the least amount of time. And it's, you, you can't. Just be close. There's a good feeling about doing math work with there, but like, you know, you have to step outside yourself and, and think about what other people are seeing when you're making a map or if you're creating a web page, a web map, and think about the user experience. You know, that's a big you know, watchword whenever you're doing anything anymore. Um, how is somebody else going to interact with this product you've created? So being, being able to think outside of yourself and think about how somebody else might approach a problem or a map differently than you is important in life, really. Seeing some, trying to understand what other people are seeing mm-hmm. can only benefit everybody involved. Well, Seth, did you have any lasting things you wanted to leave us with before we head out? No, I think I've probably shared enough of my scant wisdom. Well, it was very much enjoyed and I loved having you on today. And again, Seth Frame and I am your host, Jasmine Wilson. This is the end of part two of uh, this two-parter with Seth Frame. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye. (laughs) 